Turn to Romans chapter 8. And I, I know I, I gave our overhead projectionist some scriptures at the very last minute, so I'm hoping that we've got those. We're going to look at this first out of the King James, and we're going to look at the Living Bible, TLB, the, today's Living Bible. But I want to show you something. Now, we're talking about finding God's greatest purpose for your life. Anybody interested in what heaven wants you to do? <laughs> Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And we found out last week that a lot of that heavenly vision has to do with your part in the church, your part in the body of Christ. But it, it's, it, there's additions to that as well. But Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So heaven wants you to do something contrasted by you want to do something. Contrasted by maybe the world wants you to do something. Your friends want you to do something. Your parents want you to do something. Well, all these people wanting you to do things better be in line with what heaven wants you to do or your life will not be as fun as it could be or enjoyable or as fulfilled as it could. Plus, a lot of times people hit what I call unnecessary adversity because they're simply on the wrong road. has nothing to do with God wanting them to experience it. has nothing to do with you know, it being the Lord's will. It's just if you're on the wrong road, you're going to experience certain things on this road. You're going to experience certain things on this road. And just because you're born again and saved doesn't mean, you can, doesn't mean you're automatically on the right road. The prodigal son was in the family. He chose to go to another country, and he got in trouble for it. Still in the family, still a child of God, but he experienced some things he wouldn't have had to experience if he would have remained where he was supposed to be. So let's, let's look at it in light of this. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. And let's look here at verse 28. We, and we know that all things work together for good to everybody. Some people think that's what this means. They think, well, just remember, all things work together for good. Well, depends. Does the last part of this verse apply to the situation? The first part of the verse is all things work together for good, but for who? For everybody? Everybody that has good intentions? Everybody that lives a, a pretty clean life, behaviorally? Who, who do all things work together good for? Not everybody. Sure is quiet in here. All things, God does not cause all things to work together for good for everybody because he can't. Let me just share this with you. <clears throat> there are some things you can do for the person you are married to mm -hmm. that you cannot do for your next door neighbor. Right. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the one you're married to committed to love you Amen. in a covenant. Amen. Right? There's things... God can't just do things for people because He loves them. I mean, if He could, there'd be nobody in the hospital today. There'd be nobody in prison. There'd be nobody doing crazy things today. This is why we, the Lord gave us that revelation a while back. I love God more is my answer to temptation when it tries to get me to love that thing more or that, that, that path more. No, I love God more. 
Hmm? You all remember that revelation? Right, we tell our young people who are tempted in school to do this and do that and, and drink this and smoke that and go here and go there. We tell our young people, listen, when you tell your friends, no, I'm not going to partake of that, don't tell them no because it's your religion to live another way. Don't tell them it's no because your pastor said you better not. Tell them no because you love the Lord. Right. Who doesn't want you going that way? Right. And if the Lord don't want you going that way, it's because He don't want you dying young. He doesn't want you destroyed. He doesn't want your relationship blown up. He doesn't want your heart broken. He doesn't want you to get some disease or some thing. Right? The Lord, everything the Lord tells us to do is a total expression of His love for us. It's not so He can be God and we're His puppets. He loves us. He's got an aerial view of this thing called life. And He knows what's ahead. If we continue in areas He told us not to continue in. God's not mean. He cares for your life. Right? And many times in life, you're going to have to come to the conclusion that God's way is the best way, whether I feel like it or not. I believe God's way is the best way because it sure don't seem and look and feel like it is right now. And if your faith in the fact that God's way is the best way is strong enough, you will not sin. When people veer off into sin, they violated faith that God's way is the best way. They're, you know, they're, most of them are looking, oh, I got drunk, or, or, or I lusted out, or, or, or I, I got mean to somebody. Or, or. That's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is you didn't believe that God's way was the best way, and you went another way because you believed that way was okay and would make you more happy or fulfilled than God's way. You know, all Israel's sin in the wilderness, you know, all their lusting and their idling and their tempting God and their tempting Christ and all, all the sins in the wilderness, all was summed up in unbelief. If you read the book of Hebrews, it was all summed up in unbelief. They didn't believe God's way was the best way. Every time temptation comes to you, do whatever you got to do. <laughs> right? Um, to remind yourself, okay, when this temptation comes and everything about me feels like this is the best, I'm going to believe God's way is the best way. And then you'll just go God's way. You'll go God's way if you believe His way is the best way. You've got to work on your believing if you want to live free, not just behavioral adjustments or whatever. But anyway, he said here that all things work together for good. That would include not good things that happen to you or situations that were trouble or, or bad. He said even those would work together for good. Are you listening to church? Yes. If you'd actually love God. Hmm? You, you actually are interested in a relationship with God, not just His help when you're in trouble. Huh? How many know if you're actually going to love the Lord, you're not just thinking about Him when you're in trouble? I mean, if you're actually going to love the Lord, your whole life is going to be different. God's not just going to be an add-on. Your whole life is going to be Him. Amen. Right? When you really love somebody, everything else starts to fade. Uh, right? I mean, how many of you have ever been in love in the natural? Those of you that are married, obviously. When Carl and I first met, 
everything in my life other than Jesus and her started to fade and get very dim. I just wanted to spend time with God and Carla. That's it. We didn't care if we sat up to three in the morning talking about the things of God. And we both had to work in the morning. Your life changes when it becomes a relationship. He's talking here not about just God being an add-on to your life, not just thinking, well, if I ever get in trouble, I'll run to him, or thanks for my ticket to heaven, Jesus, I'll see you in a few. This is talking about somebody who is dwelling with him. Does that sound familiar? Huh? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Then all the promises, no evil shall befall you, nor any plague come near your dwelling. It's interesting to note that a lot of the plagues and sicknesses and, and things of the earth, they're not supposed to even get to us. But that's a promise for those that are abiding. You can get healed if you're not abiding, but it's hard to live in health if you're not abiding. Are you following me? Doesn't mean trouble's not going to come. There's trouble in other areas that will come your way, and you're right in the middle of the perfect will of God. But a lot of this junk of the enemy and the curse of the law, it can't even get to you if you're abiding. Now, it can get to you if you're not abiding, and then you can get healed, but it's your choice, healing or health. Which would you rather have? Healing or health? Well, health is divine protection, and that comes through abiding. Why did the prodigal son experience a lot of crazy, terrible things? Because he chose not to abide. He was still a son. He could still run home for mercy. He could still get restored. But he went through a lot of unnecessary adversity because the son of the father decided to abide somewhere else. And you and I can do that because we have free will. But abiding provides protection. Well, this scripture says, all things work together for good to them that love God. You know, they, they want a relationship with him, not just help when they're in trouble. And I already said that once, but most people need to hear it ten times. And then he said, to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. This is just as important as loving God. Because it's a part of loving God. I want to see it out of the TLB. Do you have that, Alyssa? Let's see if we can find this out of the Living Bible translation. Same verse. Oh, you don't have it. Carla, can you look it up on your phone real quick? You have to search it and copy and paste it, I think, because I know we don't have it on the program. Do you have it? Man, oh man, you're going to have to read that. That's small print. Oh, okay. here, 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 why don't, you, why don't you say it right in this microphone? It says, and we that all happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fighting into his plans. No, fitting. Fitting into his plans. I fitting thought. into his plans. Yes. Yeah, okay. So um, if you can find time to find that, Alyssa, that'd be cool for them to see it too with their eyes. Um, so I thought it was interesting, fitting into his plan. Yeah. Are you fitting into his plan? Because you don't have to. And still be a child of God. Still go to heaven when you die. But are you fitting into his plan till you get there? Hmm? The Bible says we're fitly framed together if we're yielding to the Lord and accepting where he wants us. It says we're fitly framed, just like a house and a two by four, fitly framed, a specific place where you fit best. 
in a certain church, in a ministry, uh, in a place in the church. There's some place where we fit. And a lot of people fit perfect just in helping whatever needs to be done. But that scripture is so interesting because you, you can, bad things can happen. Trouble can come your way. You can get knocked down. But if you're still going the direction the Lord wants you to go, you'll eventually get back on course again and it'll all work together for good. Anybody ever drive down the interstate in some foreign city? <laughs> foreign, I mean, in the States or whatever. And you make a wrong turn? Anybody ever make a wrong turn? And I've never done that. <laughs> I have. Carla's my co-pilot. And there's times we, we've really got to see how mature we were in some big cities because, man, you miss a turn and you're heading. You've got to do all these loops and one hour out of the way. But, you know, you'd have your little Siri there and your navigation and all that. And we remember doing it with the maps. I mean, we had the maps. It was awful. But you get off course. Something bad happens. But you know what? If you keep looking to the Lord for direction, He will get you back on course. One thing I do like about Siri is she never gets emotional. <laughs> She's always nice. Recalculating, 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 recalculating you. <laughs> she, she never does that. And so you make a wrong turn and pretty soon you get back on the right road and pretty soon there it is, Disneyland. <laughs> right there. And so all those other roads may not have been the best, but they work together for good. You did get there. Because you chose to keep looking to the Lord and wanting His will for your life more than anything. Now, people that veer off, I, I personally can see from the Scriptures, God would rather we stay humble and after Him with some imperfections than have perfect behavior doing our own thing. Because the destination would be different if you're doing your own thing as if you're doing His will. So what? There's a few bumps on the road to doing His will. Look where you end up. Well, I don't think I want those bumps of Christianity. I'm going to do my own thing. Your choice, but look where you end up. Amen. And it's not that God sent you there. It's that you chose to go there. He's not going to make you get off a road you want to stay on. If you want to stay on the road you're on and end up where you're headed, that's not God sending you there. Amen. That's you choosing to stay on a road that Adam put you on. Right? People, people get this idea, well, God, I don't know if I want to serve the Lord, who's a God that sends people to hell. He don't send people to hell. People are already on the road to hell. And if they don't get off, they end up there. Adam messed this whole thing up. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die. Talking about spiritually dying and headed to hell. In Christ, all shall be made alive if they accept him. This is interesting, but people aren't going to heaven just because God loves them, just because Jesus died for them. People have to receive him. We know this in the natural. You can't be made to receive a gift. You have to take it. You have to receive it. Thank you, Alyssa. Look here. And we know that all that happens to us in this life is working out for our good if, everybody say if. Yeah. If we love God and are fitting into His plans. Wow, wow, wow. 
Are you fitting into his plans? This is why you have to start developing yourself to not just doing everything you want to do. Now, people will tell you that's true freedom. People will tell you that that's true liberty. Just let me do it my way. Don't tell me what to do. Not realizing your way ain't even close to as good as God's way. And actually, we're dumb if we're just doing everything we want to do. There's somebody who created the universe, been around forever, that wants to help you succeed. Hmm, should I follow my plan or the Lord's? Oh, come on. You talk about sitting down with an entrepreneur. You talk about talking and counseling with somebody who's rich. God's not opposed to you being wealthy. He's opposed to you being covetous. He doesn't care if you have 29 houses and five aircraft and limousines and Bentleys. And as long as he's first in your life and you're following his plan for your life, he'll add good stuff to you just to enjoy. First Timothy says, trust in the living God who gives you richly all things to enjoy. Some people have a hard time believing that God would give you something just to enjoy. Well, if he gives it to me, I'll use it for him. If he gives it to me, I'll minister it. Well, that's nice. That's wonderful. But he does want you to enjoy some stuff, too. He's not a hard, austere employer. He's not a mean daddy. He does want you to have some fun in life. And he does want other people to see that so they can see his goodness in your life. Do you ever think about that scripture where it says in Romans chapter 2, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance? What goodness? Does that just mean a sinner's going to be walking down the road and all of a sudden go, oh, there's God's goodness. Or they have to see something. A lot of this goodness that's going to cause people to repent is the goodness of God that's seen in our lives because we're fully yielded to him. You mean you can have that and not be a drug dealer? You can live in a house like that and not be a rock and roll star? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And those are just the small benefits, the physical benefits. What about peace that money can't buy? Huh? What about joy the world can't give or take away? Huh? What about that? Well, that's billionaires who give all they have to have the peace we have. Why do you want what they have when they give everything to have what we have? But he cares about your finances. He's a good daddy. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, delights greatly in his commandments. Your children will be powerful on the earth. Grandchildren will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in your house. And your righteousness will endure forever. So let me talk to you about something that I received recently from the Lord in a time of prayer that will help you understand this verse right here. Okay, you see the connection with your purpose, right? Now, when you, when you find God's purpose for your life, let, let me say this before I say that. Ezra chapter 4, verse 5, the Bible says the enemies of the Lord were coming against God's people in their building of the temple and the wall And the enemies were doing their best to frustrate their purpose, to mess with their thinking. You should read it. I see a lot of stuff happening back in Ezra. It's happening today. It's really weird. But there's kind of an interesting parallel. Well, same spirits, you know, back then or probably around today. But it's really interesting to see it because Israel was doing something great for the Lord and the enemy hated it. 
He didn't want this wall built. He didn't want this temple built. He didn't want any of this stuff done. And, and he was using all these people. It says, see here, they hired counselors against him, even hiring people to lie and cheat and do all this stuff to frustrate their purpose. Israel's purpose, building the temple, building the wall. And just firing away at them. And they succeeded to a degree until they remembered who told them to build the wall and how they got instruction from the Lord. And they plowed through it. And then to get to Nehemiah, he totally restores the wall. And that temple, it, it's interesting that the devil wants to frustrate you from your heavenly purpose. As far as I can tell, and we mentioned this already, as far as I can tell in my research and my studies, the greatest reason people commit suicide is because they lost purpose to live. What if they didn't lose their purpose? What? And most people that do take their own life, they're not believing truth. That they have a part in the kingdom of God. They're valuable. We need you. You're amazing. See, most people start looking at their mistakes and identifying with their mistakes more than who Christ made them on the inside. And they, they get... You get off at times like that. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not fun. We've got friends who have taken their own lives. We've had people that, and I thought, Lord, what could I have done? And I felt like the Lord said, just tell them they've got a purpose. And then do your best to show them what you know that it is generally, and they can get the specifics. Um, so I want you to do this. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 12, for time's sake. 2 Corinthians 12. Now, the enemy is going to try to frustrate your purpose. He's going to try to get you confused about your heavenly purpose, your heavenly vision. Bring feelings your way, suggestions, lies, boredom, blah, 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 blah. All this stuff to try to get you uninterested in the vision God has for your life. Now, one of the things the devil will do to you is he will start bringing all kinds of other visions your way that are exciting and sparkly. How many know the devil, if he has to, will resort to bringing good things your way? Anything but the perfect will of God for your life. And this is where a lot of people don't, don't understand uh, the depths of Christianity because one time Jesus told these guys, these guys said, Lord, man, we've done many wonderful works in your name. And the Lord basically said, bet you didn't do what I told you to do. Remember that? Matthew chapter 7. They said, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. That's a good thing. Right? Lord, we, what did they say? We prophesied in your name. That's a good thing. Speaking under the inspiration of God. You know. Lord, we've done many wonderful works in your name. And Lord said, depart from me. I never knew you. Because the previous verse, he said, those that do the will of my Father are the ones that are going to be strong and standing when the storms come. Well, how many know you can do what you want to do? Good stuff. Or you can do what the Lord told you to do because you actually took time to ask Him about it. It didn't say David served his generation. It said he served his generation by the will of God. That's different than just doing what you want to do. I know it. I know it messes up your schedule. I know it messes up your lifestyle. But our lifestyles and schedules need messed up. These are the end times. The end of all things is at hand. Jesus is about ready to come back. We need to be checking with heaven about what he wants us to do instead of us just doing what we think others need us to do or we want to do. Hmm? And get the details, get the specifics. So he will try, the devil will try to keep you 
from finding and fulfilling God's will for your life in all kinds of ways, even bringing good things your way. Anything but the best. That's kind of, the enemy has to go to those desperate means, you know. We got to start, because, you know, first you'll try to get you messed up in sin. You know, just gross perversions and all that. But if that don't work, he's got to figure out another, something else to do. Maybe I better bring some good stuff their way that, 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 that just their flesh wants to do. Or, you know, anything but taking time and hearing from God. And just, I personally cannot picture Jesus ever waking up and saying, Oh, what do I want to do today? He knew his life on this earth was short. He knew his mission was brief. He knew he better do what the Father told him to do. Because this life is like two more clicks and we're all out of here. Another thing the enemy will try to do is when you do find your purpose and you do find the place and the, and the, and the connections and, and the plan that he has for your life, he will, the devil will try to remove you from that place. Can I get a witness? I remember talking to a, a person in our church a while back. I, they just loved the church. It was amazing. It's like I could tell, man, they were like in the honeymoon stage. Everything this church did was amazing. We couldn't do anything wrong. It was wonderful. The music is ah. The preaching is ah. I remember telling this person one time, I said, enjoy this time right now because there's coming a day. It's going to be one foot in front of the other. You're going to have to grow up and develop in some areas. You're going to have to realize I got some weaknesses, admit and walk in some humility. Because it ain't always going to feel like this. And it shouldn't always feel like this. We don't grow when things are well. We grow when we're challenged. Are you listening? A lot of people are passing up opportunities to mature in God because they don't agree with certain things. Paul told Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. Don't run away from it. Endure it. Grow, develop. Development is not always comfortable. And if you're going to find the perfect church for you, it's not always going to be comfortable. And you need to thank the Lord for that. Let me tell you the number one reason people leave churches that they were called to. Number one reason. You ready? They're not getting their way. May not be what they say it is. I'm personally believing for a lot of those people to come back to local churches because they're going to sense the the seriousness of the end times, the value of their place in the church, how they cannot really be replaced. I mean, God has substitutes, but there's nobody like you. God would rather not always have to use reinforcements. But now look here in 2 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to pray, and I just believe the Lord is going to help me to get this final part of this out to you today because when you're in the purpose of God when you are are in or close to or hanging around when you're in the purpose of God for your life you got to realize it doesn't mean no trouble's going to come your way can I get a witness but the, but the most important thing is stay hooked when you know you're there everybody say stay hooked Because if you stay hooked, all things are going to work together for you. Mm -hmm. Because you're fitting into his purpose and you ain't unfitting because it got uncomfortable. Amen. Everybody say, stay hooked. hooked. Why am I saying that? Because I believe the Lord told me to say it. 
He wants you to know there's going to be times you're going to be tempted to unhook. And this could go in, in local church settings. There's going to be times you're going to be pressured to unhook. And this is where development comes in. Everybody say, stay hooked. Stay hooked. God would rather you stay hooked. <laughs> With all the mistakes and bumps and turbulence and problems because all that's going to work together for good eventually, than to unhook because it just got a little uncomfortable. Because the, un the, the uncomfortable feelings that you feel when you unhook are nothing compared to the problems you're going to experience if you stay unhooked. God is more interested in you than just you being perfect. Or just feeling wonderful. or He, he, he sees he's in it for the long haul. So I wanted to show you something here. Look at 2 uh, yeah, Corinthians 12. Paul was going through some problems, lots of persecution, a lot of trouble was coming his way. People were turning on him. Even his brethren were turning on him. They became false brethren, all kinds of stuff. Persecution on the left hand and the right for serving God and preaching the gospel. And Paul was praying about this, said, Lord, this persecution, this, this messenger of Satan, this opposition... He said, for this thing, I begged the Lord three times that this stuff might depart from me. Now, I'm going to share this with you because I know some of you are in trouble. And if you're not, you will be. <laughs> okay. Doesn't mean the trouble I have to get in you, but you're going to be in trouble sometime in your life. And you're going to be in the middle of the perfect will of God when that trouble comes. A lot of people think because of the trouble, I must not be where I'm supposed to be. I have a word for you. Grow and make sure something's not trying to push you out. Because I do believe people need to rise up in the church. We have ideas of other ministry things even beyond this church that we're going to need a lot of help for other churches. And other people have to be sent out. But that's different than leaving because, hmm, hmm, they didn't like my idea. Hmm. Holy Ghost told me to do this and the pastor said no. Hmm. I heard from God. I know I did. Even if you did hear from God, you might not have heard about the right timing. Um, so when trouble comes, Pastor, don't you mean if? No, I mean when trouble comes. Okay. When trouble comes. How many want all things to work together for good? Then we got to be fitting his plan and stay in his plan. Mm -hmm. right? right? Remember, the devil's going to bring all kinds of great opportunities your way. He did to Jesus. He brought him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. He brought before him everything Adam delivered unto the devil in the Garden of Eden. He said, Jesus, all this is yours. You can have it if you do it my way. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to get all this stuff my father's way. I mean, oh, there's another way to get some stuff. And it ain't the Lord's way all the time. Sometimes the Lord's way takes a little longer, but you develop in the process. Then you get the good thing and you get the development. So he said here, I prayed and prayed and prayed and asked the Lord to take this thing away from me. Lord, take this trouble away from me. Lord, take this problem away from me. And Jesus said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul received correction. Huh. 
wow, if Paul received correction, I think we should probably receive some correction once it might save our lives. Amen. Jesus said, Paul, you're asking me to do something for you that I've already done. Right. He, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, Jesus said, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Now, you see the word that? You see that there? You could put a word so just before that and it means the same thing. So, this is King James. If we were to update this a little bit, it'd be, Paul said, most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities, so that. So that what? So that you get the victory you need. You get the strength you need. You get the work of God that you need. Notice, most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ. What power? Healing power if you need it. Prosperity power if you need it. Huh? Come on, when you're in the middle of God's will for your life, trouble's still going to come to you. And if you're not in the middle of the will of God, trouble's going to come to you also. But here's the good news. The Lord is the answer. Now, this trouble here, I don't see it being the result of Paul making mistakes. He was doing the will of God. Preaching, teaching, helping people everywhere he went. Bringing revelation from heaven to earth that the earth never heard before. Even the disciples of the Lord didn't hear some of the things Paul got from the Lord. I mean, he's doing... But, but what, if, what if trouble does come your way because of your mistakes? Okay, I have a scripture for you. Somebody needs to hear this. I'm going to come right back to this before we close. Would you please put up Hosea 13, 9? And if you want to turn there, church, turn to Hosea 13, 9. I wanted to at least inject this because I know how the enemy works. Well, he's not talking about you because the mistakes you made uh, caused the problems you're in. And uh, so the pastor's not talking about you at all. Hey, listen, <laughs> if you made some mistakes and opened the door to some problems, or if you didn't make some mistakes and you got trouble in your life, Jesus is the answer. And if you will turn to him, he will forgive, he will heal. Amen. But I want you to notice in Hosea 13, 9. O Israel, you have destroyed yourself, but in me is your help. Amen. God says, if you destroyed yourself, just come on, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Have you ever destroyed yourself? Have you ever made mistakes, said things you shouldn't have said, done things you shouldn't have done the umpteenth time over and over again? Any, any, well, have you destroyed yourself? Have you experienced pain and problems because of those things? Maybe you have. Well, if you have, so, so what do you do in that situation? You still go to the Lord because he's your help. Amen. I think it says it right there. Oh, Israel, you've destroyed yourself, but in me is your help. God didn't destroy him. The devil didn't destroy him. Sometimes you just got to admit, you know what? This wasn't God's will that this bad thing happened. It wasn't the devil that this bad thing happened. I did it myself. What does that take? Humility. <laughs> You'll find out if you've got any pride at times like this, right? You're going to say, you know, I destroyed myself. I destroyed myself. And he said, I'll help you. Even though you did, I'm going to help you. So go back to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's praying and praying and praying and praying and still got these big problems until Paul changed. Let me tell you what happened.
Paul went from worrying to glorying. He went from praying to saying something. And he got victory. What happens when you go from worrying to glorying? From just praying, God, give me, God, give me, God, take away, take away, take away. And saying, you get what Paul got. Paul wrote to Timothy later, way after this. He said, you know, all those afflictions and persecutions and all that stuff that came to me at Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, all those things. What persecutions I endured, the Lord delivered me out of them all. And he said, I was also delivered from the mouth of the lion. (laughs) One time Paul said, we went to Asia. Paul said, we went to Asia. And I don't want you ignorant, guys. He said, I don't want you ignorant of this, but when we were in Asia, we were pressed above measure. And we even despaired of life. Wanted to die. But then he realized, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And he got raised up. He learned what trouble really was. I asked Carla the other day, I said, Carla, after I started studying some of the things, and she answered like I would have answered. I said, Carla, what is trouble? And Carla said, well, it's uh, going through hard times and difficulty. And I'm thinking of the Webster's definition of trouble. And I said, no, that's, 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 that's not. Let me tell you in God's dictionary what trouble is. You want to know what trouble is? Opportunity to see God's power come on you. All it is. In God's mind, all trouble is, is an opportunity to see God work. You think the greatest, worst, most horrific thing just happened to you. You just watch. Come on, come on. That is an opportunity. The enemy meant it to destroy you. And if you have the right attitude like Paul, God will use it to promote you. And the devil will wish he never threw that trouble your way. Because the test that he sent to destroy you now becomes a testimony that launches a worldwide ministry, even if it starts in your neighborhood. Come on, after this church service, I want you all to know the definition of trouble. The definition of trouble is opportunity for the power of Christ to come on you in that area. Paul went from worrying to glorying in his weaknesses. That word weakness is not sickness there. It's weakness if you look it up. He was weak from all the persecution, all the the people betraying him, all the disloyalty, all the lies, the beatings. And he said, you know what? How many of you know if Jesus says my grace is sufficient for you, and you decide to say those same words the Lord said, that's as powerful as it gets. This was not somebody quoting Jesus. This was not somebody saying something the Lord said to him through the word of prophecy. This is the Lord personally saying, my grace is sufficient for you. You saying what the Lord said is as powerful as it gets. It's even more powerful than praying, Lord, take the problem away. Paul prayed three times, take it away, take it away, take it away. Jesus didn't take it away. You know why? 
because Paul already had something at his disposal that could fix it. It was the grace of God, and he believed that what Jesus said was true. My grace is not going to be. It is sufficient for you. Paul believed that and changed his attitude. How do you say most gladly? And he went through a hundred times more strong stuff than we're going through. He said, how, how much, how, how could he say, I, more, most gladly, I will rather glory. That's boast. And one, one of the Greek words is rejoice. Most gladly, I'll rejoice in my weaknesses, in this trouble. Why? So that God can work it out. Interesting to think that attitude makes the difference between being destroyed and being delivered. His attitude changed from, Lord, take it away, take it away, till to, His grace is sufficient for me. Now look at the next verse. Therefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses. Anybody want to pray for some trouble with me? What if all that trouble turned into powerful testimonies and opportunities to see God work? Hmm? I'm not saying pray for trouble. I'm just saying don't be afraid of trouble. And don't let trouble intimidate you. And don't let trouble push you into violations of love. God will work it out. Just have the right attitude. Declare his grace is sufficient. Quote Jesus verbatim. His grace is sufficient for me and get happy knowing that his power is going to rest on you. And all this is, is an opportunity to see God show up and work it out. All this trouble. What's the definition of trouble? Somebody tell me, what's the definition of trouble? Opportunity for God's power to rest on you. And if it don't happen in five minutes, if it don't happen in five hours, if it doesn't happen in five days, stay in the mode of calmness and trust, knowing that his grace won't let you down. Amen. You want to see his power come on the scene? You got to quit praying that God take away the problem. You got to quit praying that God would do this or God would do that. It's time for us to do something with what he's already given us. Say, first of all, say his grace is sufficient for me. Number two, get some joy stirred up by choice. Quit waiting for feelings. And number three, declare his power is coming on me. Right when somebody does something that looks like sets your business back five years. Right when something happens, it looks like your marriage is going to dissolve. Right when, what do you do at a time like that? Instead of rising up and saying, I'm going to fix this thing in my own power. How about we just kind of calmly walk in love and trust that God's grace is going to work it out. Hmm? One more scripture and I'll let you go. John 9, quickly. John 9, it's connected to this point here. John chapter 9. This will only take a couple minutes. What's the definition of trouble? Opportunity for the power of Christ to rest upon me. Isn't that interesting? Paul said, I, I do this so that I most gladly glory in my weaknesses so that. What if you don't? What if your attitude's going south in times of trouble? Don't know if so that can happen. Right, right. 
Now, if you're a baby Christian, God will meet you where you're at. A lot of us need to be developing into these things because we're not babies anymore. So look at this, and we'll let you go here. Look at John chapter 9, verse 1. And Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. That would be trouble, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not cool. But his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is interpretation sent. He went his way thereof and washed and came seeing. So a lot of people read this and they think some, there's just this twisted thought that God wanted this man born blind so he could heal him later. For one thing, God's not insecure and he don't need to prove anything to anybody. A lot of the punctuation in the original, punctuation was not in the original. You know, this is all added by translators. I submit unto you, one way this could and should be read is when Jesus said, who, he said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents that he was, this, this man didn't sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. Right. Jesus isn't saying that this man was born blind so God could heal him, that God had some purpose in it. That'd be like me punching somebody half to death and then going to the hospital and doing all I can to help get them healed to show them that I care for them. <laughs> Besides that, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me, I, I, making it very clear that the works of blindness in the man we're not the works of God. Or Jesus will be coming against the works of God with his own works. Jesus didn't say why this man was born blind because there's times you and I will be ministering to people and you don't just tell them, oh, this is the devil. How I many other times you don't just tell everybody, oh, this is the devil. You may know it is, but you can still minister to them without telling them this is the devil. This blindness was a work of the devil. And Jesus didn't have to broadcast that. I mean, he cares about people. You don't have to say everything you feel like saying. Jesus said, I'm telling you this. The man sinned and his parents sinned had nothing to do with this. Then that's the end of that question. Then he's saying, I got some works to do. You know why? Because all this is, is an opportunity. All this trouble is, is an opportunity for the works of God to come on the scene. Every sickness, every disease, every trouble on this planet, in God's eyes, all that is is an opportunity for his power to come on and fix. That's all it is. Now, you know this is true because Jesus, he worked the works of God and the man got healed. So tell me, what were the works of God? The man being blind or the man being healed? Jesus is not going to override the works of God with the works of God. This is tradition. People believe wrong things about this. They think somehow that God had a will in this and, and then him healing him was to prove something. 
Do you remember 1 John 3, 8? I'll quote it to you. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Works, plural. Not just sin, works. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he should destroy the works of the devil. If you look it up in the Greek, the word destroy means to undo, like a braid. You're entangled with something. The world, a demon, a, a sick. He unbra he, God, yeah. Jesus came to unloose, yeah. to loose, I'm sorry, to loose and to undo the works of the devil. Yeah. So Jesus comes on the scene here. This man's born blind. He's got trouble in his life. Wasn't it because he sinned? Wasn't it because his parents sinned? But Jesus said, I'm going to work the works of God because the works that you're in right now are not the work of God because I'm not going to undo a work of God. I was manifested to undo the works of the devil. Amen. That's right. And he did it. The man came seeing. And the whole thing I wanted you to see in that is that no matter what the trouble is, no matter what the problem is, it's all an opportunity for the power of Christ to come on you. These things, these problems, sometimes in local churches, when you find your divine connections, these, these, the, 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 the struggle at times to stay committed, and st so all you have to do sometimes, time like that, is just maintain a good attitude. The Lord knows you're hurting. Maintain a good attitude, say His grace is sufficient. Grow, develop, and God will work things out. Most people are not seeing trouble as an opportunity for God to work things out. They're seeing it as an opportunity to blow up. Or an opportunity to claim their rights. Or an opportunity to demand their way. Or an opportunity to be heard. If we would just chill out and go from worrying and complaining to glorying and trusting, the power of Christ would rest upon these things and God would supernaturally fix it. So are you going to encounter trouble at times when you're living in the perfect will of God? Paul did. These people didn't sin. They had trouble. Is trouble going to come sometimes? What do you do at times like that? You calmly trust that God's grace is sufficient. And you say His grace is sufficient for me. And you say it every day. And you don't let the devil stir you into any kind of weird negative passion and try to fix things yourself. Do what you can do in the natural, but do it with calmness and trust. God's grace is going to ultimately take care of this thing. All right, let's stand up. Thank you, Lord. Somebody tell me, what's the definition of trouble? Opportunity. What if you, what if you decide to complain and worry and keep praying and praying and praying? Well, if you want the power of Christ to rest on you, I strongly suggest you go from worrying to glorying. From praying only to saying, His grace is sufficient for me. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Jesus, we love you. We honor you this morning. And Lord, we just declare right now, your grace is sufficient for us. Your strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly glory in my weaknesses so that something supernatural can happen. I'm going to change my attitude. I'm not going to lay down and play dead. I'm going to rise up and believe God. Father, forgive us for past complainings and worryings when we didn't know better. And even if we did, forgive us. 
Forgive us, Father God, for not taking your word serious if we haven't. Thank you for ministering grace to us and healing and deliverance. And Father, we thank you that the trouble that's come against us, all it is is an opportunity. We know we don't have to be perfect. We just need to remain in you. We know we don't have to be perfect. We just need to fit into your purpose, Lord. We just trust you that your way is the best way. And we thank you for your mercy and grace.